Good morning. Happy New Year, everyone. It is a new year. Because of that, we're going to start some new things in, in preaching on Sunday mornings. Still going verse by verse, but we're going to do a few different things. Today, I'm starting a what I'm going to call a periodic series, because it's going to be today and February 2nd, and um, on favorite Bible passages. After that, we're going to go through some of the minor prophets, minor prophets, major message. And then after Easter, we're going to get into 1 Peter. But I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15 today. Exodus chapter 15, a very significant passage of Scripture in the Bible because in it is contained the very first worship song recorded in the Bible. So if you would, please stand with me. We're going to read verses 1 through 21. And basically, we're going to read about how at the Red Sea, God strongly and dramatically saved his people from the evil that Pharaoh had planned for them. And their response was a beautiful song of praise. It was definitely an awesome moment in their history. So Exodus chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever 
and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today humbled in your presence and awestruck once again by your mighty works. Lord, we acknowledge that you are the one who triumphed gloriously, that you are our strength and our song and our salvation. Lord, you are our God. And it is your right hand, O Lord, that is glorious in power. You are the one who redeems a people and purchases a people for yourself and lord we acknowledge today that you will reign forever and ever and lord we acknowledge these things even as many come to this time with deep pain with deep anguish of soul and with either discouragement or depression or being downcast and i pray lord that you would lift us up Lord, that you would have your way with us. Lord, that we would be able to sing and say that you have triumphed gloriously in every situation of our lives. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. New year. You might be wondering... Why Exodus 15? Is that somehow my favorite Bible passage? No, it's not, actually. Let me tell you the story about why we're here today, because it is unique. I've got five kids, you, most of you know this, and they range in age from 21 all the way down to today, 11, because my youngest just turned 11 today. Sophia turned 11. Now, a couple months ago, I said to her, what's your favorite Bible verse? On your birthday, I'll preach your favorite Bible verse. And instantly she says, Exodus 15. I'm like, really? Tell me the story. And she goes, well, I, I was reading it and I thought it was really cool. So that's my favorite. So we are in Exodus 15. Now the reason we're going to be doing this periodic series is because one other member of my family has a birthday on February 2nd. Um, who just happens to have the same birthday as John Strzeski. And so the two of them share the same Bible passage as their favorite and i can't wait till i get to tell you what that is on february 2nd but today exodus chapter 15 a very significant passage of scripture because it does contain the very first worship song in the bible so for some of you this will be review for some of you this will be new but i want to set the stage of why are we here what has happened to get us to this song You may know the background, you may not, but the background is this. The people of Israel had been in Egypt for a long, long time, but they initially were welcomed into Israel. It was in the time of Joseph. And they were were thriving there, they were growing, they were increasing in numbers, and the Egyptians, at some point in time, down the road, said, you know, they may get so big that they outnumber us, and they overthrow us. 
So we got to do something about this. And they made the Israelites, the Hebrews, slaves. So they became slaves in Egypt. And God chose Moses at his, in his perfect time to basically lead the people out of Egypt into Canaan, into the promised land. So according to the Bible, here's the Israelites who were welcomed into Egypt. Um, generations later, the Egyptians basically become concerned and they make them slaves. And they respond by seeking to limit the number of kids they have. They have this plan to include that every firstborn boy must be killed. You may know the story of how Moses was spared from being killed by his mom and his dad. And, they, and he, he was miraculously saved. But God chose Moses to lead the people out of slavery in Egypt into the land of Canaan, the promised land. And the Egyptian pharaoh agrees to let them go at one point. says, go for it. And he keeps changing his mind and there's all the ten plagues that are coming upon them all because of Pharaoh's hardness of heart. So they go to these places and the Egyptian Pharaoh finally says, okay, now you can go. And they go from Ramses to a place called Soko and they enter um, uh, over to Etham on the edge of the desert and they're led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God is leading them to where he wants them to go. Now he tells Moses one day to camp at, by the sea at Pahihirath, and uh, it was between Migdol and the sea, uh, directly um, opposite Baal Zephon. Okay, so there's all these places with weird names. Now God, at the same time, basically causes Pharaoh to chase after them with his chariots and horses. So now we've got a situation going on. What is happening is, the Israelites are seeing the Egyptian army coming towards them and they're stuck between them and the sea. And it doesn't look good. And they're very afraid. And the pillar of fire and the cloud is separating the Israelites from the Egyptians. That's all that's keeping the Egyptians at bay. But they're coming towards them and and there's the sea. And God tells Moses to stretch out his staff over the water. And when he does so, God brings a strong wind from the east and divides the sea. You've probably seen movies, you've probably seen pictures, you've probably even seen cartoons that picture this. It is something that blows your mind. The sea is walled up and God's people walk on dry ground through the Red Sea. At the same time this is going on, this is a lot of people. We're talking 600,000 plus people, a lot of people, okay? Uh, 600,000 men plus women and children uh, a ton of people and they're walking through the Red Sea as they're going so are the Egyptians chasing them down and if you're familiar with the story basically what happens is God drowns the Egyptians and saves his people in fact when you look in Exodus chapter 14 you see that, that God saves them by his strong arm And that Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the sea, on the seashore. They see them dead on the seashore. They see that God had used his great power to deliver them. And so the people, it says, feared God. They they worshiped God and they, they believed in him. They also wanted to follow his servant Moses. That's what happened to get us up to this song. Basically, God has seen his people through this long ordeal. They were now free from Pharaoh's oppressive hand. And 
God had brought this massive deliverance via the ten plagues and the Red Sea, and now there's a moment of truth. How would his people respond? How would Moses lead them? What would Moses say? Here's what Moses didn't do. He didn't erect a pillar of stones, a memorial to God for what he did. That would have been a common thing to do. He didn't set down some new goals and say, here's five ways we're going to enter into the promised land. Didn't do that. He didn't offer a sacrifice of animals. But what he did do is offer a sacrifice of praise. He led the people in singing a song. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that it's a song, I'm thinking, well, what's it going to sound like, right? We, we are big on sound in our culture, so we're like, what's it going to sound like? I wonder, what it was, was it a catchy Middle Eastern-influenced tune? Probably. Were there tambourines and dancing? Yes, actually there were. We read that. There were tambourines. No one likes tambourines, right? Or accordions. And, uh, and there, but there were tambourines. There, were, there was dancing. And think about it. Songs really connect with our hearts. We love songs. You, you probably wake up some days not reciting a 10-page term paper, but you have a song in your mind, a song on your heart. And you think, where did that come from? How, how did that get in my mind? How did I remember those words from so long ago even? We've got favorite songs. We've got songs we don't want to don't hear because we don't like them. But here, it's a fresh song. It's a new song. And fresh songs, you know when you hear a song for the first time that you really like and it connects with your heart and you think, wow, that hits me right where I'm at. That's, that's like, that song is, is touching my heart right at what I'm going through in life. Well, this was a fresh song. This was touching them right where they were at in life. It was invigorating for them because they had been through it. They had experienced it. I don't know if it won an Old Testament Grammy or not, but all I will tell you is they were on the cutting edge of the worship music of their day. Now, he didn't just sing any song, by the way. He sang praises to God. Moses, verse 1, sang praises to God, and the people of Israel sang with him. Now, there are three songs that are attributed to Moses in the Bible. There's one in Psalm 90, there's one in Deuteronomy, and then there's this one. This was the first one. This is known as the song of Moses. This is known as the song of the sea. And... It was an awesome song, chock full of specific truth. So what I want to do today is say, what can we learn about worship from this song? What can we learn about how we're to praise God from looking at this song and seeing how they did it? How did they praise God? They praised God in in a God-centered way. That's how they praised God, in a God-centered way. Look at verse 1. They sang this song to the Lord. Now they didn't just sing it to him and talk about themselves or sing about themselves. They sang it to him and talked about him. Now they were in it. Of course they were in it because what they're talking about happened to them. God, they experienced it with them. It wasn't going to be just about God. It was going to be about what God did in their lives. So the main idea here, you know, they sang, they praised in, in God-centered ways. The main idea of this passage is very simple. Because of his saving acts on their behalf, God's people should praise him in God-centered ways. You should praise God in God-centered ways because of his saving acts on your behalf if you are a believer. That's what you should be doing. And I want you to notice the focus was not on themselves. A lot of even Christian worship songs are man-exalting. This song was God-exalting. This song is is a pattern for us in our worship. 
Now they are recounting what God did for them. It is about that, but it is not self-centered. It is not self-serving. It is God-centered praise. It is God-sized worship. Just like Psalm 150, verse 6 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Here they are praising God. Now I want you to notice what they focused on as they praised God in God-centered ways. Verses 1 through 3, we see that God is being, is being addressed and he, it's about singing to Him and recalling what He is like. They are focused on who God is. And in the first three verses, he starts with, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. Now, triumphed gloriously is a key phrase here. It, it's seen in verse 1. It's seen in verse 21. It's the first line. I will sing to the Lord because he has triumphed gloriously. He, he has been victorious. It is glorious. It is for his glory. Now, it's about God, who God is. Moses is pointing out the attributes of God, the name of God, the character of God, the covenant nature of God. By the way, I don't know if you've ever looked at this song in depth before, but this song is one of the most important pieces of explicit theology in the whole Bible about God. This teaches us about who God is. Moses is telling about the name of God. He says, the Lord is his name. Clear echoes to chapter 3 when God revealed his name to Moses. Moses is telling about the character of God. He says he is a man of war. A man of war. Verse 3. Now, this does not contradict the Bible saying that God is not a man. This is a word picture. There are some amazing word pictures in this song. I mean, how about the enemy sinking like lead? We all know what that means. They sunk, they went down quick and permanent. They sank like a stone in water. So there's all these figures of speech. Moses is using a very powerful figure of speech here in which God is being compared to a mighty warrior, someone who is engaged in battle against the enemy. The reality is that God's people are not embroiled in a political conflict here. They are embroiled in a deeply spiritual conflict and only can, they, can it be un- overcome through the power of God. Moses is reminding them about God's covenant nature. He, he says in verse 2, uh, He is my Father's God. Just as God had demonstrated His power and glory in the past, so He is doing now. I don't think anything shows the reality of the unchanging character of God whose name is I Am, quite like the historical record of His saving acts and deliverances in the past, in every age and every generation, including ours. We can all recount stories of being delivered by God. You may have been cured from cancer or delivered time and again from impending doom and and you attribute it to God's miraculous working and you want to sing to him because of it I think we easily say well this was a worship song where they were all worshiping together and think I can only do that in my car when the windows are rolled up or in church you can sing and praise God every moment of every day as you choose and you don't have to have a sound studio to do it you don't have to play an instrument to do it who God is, is the, the primary forefront focus of this song. And the song begins, I want you to note, on a very personal note. Very personal. 
Moses reminds us and the people that God is his personal God. He is the one who enables him to sing and to exalt him and, and to praise him. I want you also to notice that this song is very, very personal in, in the wording. My God. Now, all the people are singing it. Notice who's singing it. Moses and the people of Israel sang this song. They all sang it together. So it's not bad to have a worship song where we are saying, my God, and we're all singing together because we know we all agree together with this. That's what they're doing. Very, very personal. The Lord is my strength and my song and He has become my salvation. He's he's His strength. He's powerful. He's awesome. He's holy. He is His song. Do you notice He didn't say He's the topic of my song. He is my song. God is the song. He's not the object only of the song. Just like in the New Testament, Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our life our very life. He doesn't just give us life, He is our life. And God is His song. And He says, and God is my salvation. There have been merciful saving acts done on my behalf by this God. I want you to notice how personal this song is because they sang it together but they personalized it because they had experienced these things personally. You sing a song of praise You internalize it. It touches your emotions. You think through what God has done as it relates to the words that you're singing in a song. They talk about who God is. I want you also to note that their focus was on what God had done. Verses 4 through 12. Verse 4 begins, Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. His officers were sunk in the Red Sea. They're talking about this because this is what happened. This is a narrative song. This is a story song about what had gone on. God saved his people. God had saved his people. They were his people. Not because they were the best looking people that he had ever put together. Not because they were the most faithful people that God had ever created. But because he had chosen them. They were God's chosen people. Think about it. Again and again, they rejected God and God still kept providing for them. Do you know that this story of the Red Sea being crossed one chapter earlier, Exodus 14, is one of the best places in the Bible to preach Jesus. It's one of the best places in the Bible for Christians to find out some things about their own salvation in Christ. I want to point out three of them to you. This Old Testament story of the crossing of the Red Sea teaches Christians some very important truths about their salvation. First and foremost, that God frees us from bondage. God was freeing his people from the bondage of of Egypt, the oppression of slavery. And when you come to faith in Christ, God frees you from the bondage of sin, from the power of sin, from the penalty of sin, one day from the presence of sin. You are are freed in Christ from slavery to sin, from bondage. The second thing you would learn about your faith in Christ from this story of the Red Sea is that you were saved from bondage, you were freed from bondage through a mediator. Now, the people of Israel were saved from bondage through the mediator Moses. God's choosing the leader, Moses. All Christians know that they were saved through the mediator Moses. 
the Lord Jesus Christ, the man Christ Jesus. There is one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. So we are freed from bondage through a mediator. And the third thing you will see here is that it was all by grace. It was for the salvation of sinners. It was for undeserving objects of mercy and grace. It's not by works. There was no one in the tribe of Israel that God said, you know what, you have been so good, I am going to reward you with salvation. You're not saved by your works. They weren't saved by theirs. God has done this personally for each one of us who have come to faith in Christ by faith. The gift of God. Eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. What has God done? God has saved a people for himself. That is what he was doing there at the Red Sea. That is um, foreshadowing what he would do in Christ. So if you're a Christian, you can learn a lot about your salvation in Christ from this story and from this song. He provided for himself a sacrifice, a remedy for sin, sending Jesus to pay the penalty for the sinfulness of man. So their focus in the song is on who God is. Their focus of the song is on what God has done. But also, look with me at verse 13. Their focus is also on what God will do on what God will do. As they are talking about what God has done, Moses is singing with the people, narrating what had happened, and saying, who is like you? You are amazing. No one is majestic in holiness like you. No one is awesome in glorious deeds like you. You do wonders. Then he says in verse 13, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. So he's leading the people that he has saved. He says, you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Now we're looking future. Verse 14, the people have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants. Now are the chiefs dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders. All the inhabitants have melted away. Terror and dread fall on them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. And then it says, till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. He has redeemed the people for himself. He has purchased them, not just for that moment of salvation, but for, for a lifetime, for an eternity of salvation. Look what it says. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. And then he says, verse 18, the Lord will reign forever and ever. He is pointing to God's eternal purposes. He is pointing to God reigning eternally in heaven. There's an eternal focus. Now, if truth is eternal, and it is, we ought to invest in eternal things. We ought to be excited about eternal things. We ought to be interested in eternal things, not just what's going on now in our lives, not just what's gone on in the past, but what is ahead. What God has put forth in the future, laid up in heaven for us. He's talking about heaven. We should praise God in God-centered, awestruck wonder, and we should recount how great He is, who He is. We should think about how powerful God is. We should think about it in very personal terms and realize what He has done in our own lives. And tell those testimonies, tell those stories of God's greatness. But we should also focus on God's permanent works. On what is promised but not yet grasped. 
What is promised and not yet seen. What is promised and not yet experienced. We think heavenly. I think throughout history, the people that are most, seem to be most intent on heavenly things are those who have the least here on earth. I think through history, it shows that those who have been most oppressed or those who have been most bereft of things here on earth are oftentimes those who have the sharpest pinpoint focus on their hope for the future. We should praise God in God-centered, awestruck worship, and this should transform not only our services of worship, such as this, but our very lives. Not only our songs, but our living that we ought to live a life of worshiping God. The way we live should be changed because of how they praised. Psalm 42.8 says, By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. A song doesn't need to have instruments and music to be coming out in praise. It can be a prayer to God. We should truly live a life of worship, awestruck wonder at the greatness and goodness of God. But modern worship music, a lot of it, often sound is the king. How does it sound? How does it, how does it make me feel? We focus on feel and melody and singability, and those aren't bad things, but those are not the main thing. I know of people that actually go to different churches because they like the music better, the way it makes them feel, the way it makes them focus or whatever but god is most concerned with biblical accuracy i don't know what the tune was that they sang i know the words because they're in god's word there's a lot of songs both secular and sacred that are very man exalting i said it before but most important is our focus and the content it is to be god-centered it is to be god-exalting You look down at verse 20. Miriam, the prophetess, a very gifted woman of God, comes on the scene. She's the sister of Aaron. And she takes the tambourine. We have one at our house. We don't really use it, though. It sits there. But she took the tambourine, and, and actually all the women went out with her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to them. And what did she sing? Another song? No. The song of Moses, the song of the sea, the song of God's deliverance. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. And then that that ending, the horse and his rider, he has thrown into the sea. Do you know why they bring up the horse and the rider in this song? There's a very, very unique reason. The reason why, do you know why the the horse and the rider are in the song? It's because of what happened. That's what happened. There were horses and riders in the sea. Now, your song will be different. Again, yours might have a horse and a rider in it, but only if there really was a horse and a rider. You don't make up a new thing that happened to you. You can tell the truth. This is what happened. There are some people, by the way, that, that deny that any of this happened. You say, well, the Bible says it happened, but research has shown, studies have shown, experts have said that really it couldn't have, so therefore it didn't. God says it happened. It happened. This is what happened. It's, it's based on who he is and what he's done and, and what he will do. 
Now, when I think of Exodus 15, I've been thinking about it for the last month or so. I just think, wow, what an awesome event. I mean, this is, I'm, I'm serious. I'm like, I've been blown away by reading it and by, and by hearing it and, and, and just by thinking it over how Moses leads the people in a song of praise after God had delivered them in a very dramatic way, in a very strong and powerful way that they would never forget. Pharaoh meant evil, God meant good. God brought about this amazing deliverance and so his people praise him. And, and all I can think is beautiful. It's just beautiful. It's a beautiful picture. They remembered who he is. They remembered what he had done. They remembered what he would do. It's the kind of praise that God wants from us. This is the kind of praise that you should be giving to God, reminding him about who he is, recounting what he's done, and then praising him for what he's going to do in the future because we've, we, we lay hold of it by faith. It's beautiful. It's God-centered, it's God-exalting, and it's, it's awestruck wonder towards him. But as we all know too well, things can quickly change. And oftentimes, when we, it's possible for us to sing a song of praise and at the very same moment have sinful thoughts. It's possible to actually be in a worship service at a church and sing songs and not even mean them. Sing songs and, and actually be thinking the opposite and just sing them because that's, that's what's on the menu. As we, as we know all too well, things can quickly change. That's what happened with God's people here. I need to point this out to you because it, you can't just say, well, we all got to praise and then we know we're all thinking about tomorrow morning and we're all thinking about this afternoon and what's up for us then. We're getting back into cars with people we don't always get along with. We're going back to households with people that we don't always see eye to eye with. We're going to interact with people tomorrow morning that we might be diametrically opposed to in worldview and in life direction. So it's all good and well to praise God for who he is and what he has done and what he will do because we have to. We have to do that. Our, our lives literally, are the health of our lives literally depend upon us giving praise to God. We were made to do it. But things changed really quick. I don't have to take you pages and chapters down the road and say, look what happened a few years later after the afterglow, you know, faded away. Well, it kind of just, the tarnish came off right away. Just go to verse 22. Just, just verse 22. We're talking like three days later, okay? Is that soon enough for you? I know it would have been more like me and you if it was like, you know, 10 minutes later, but three days, that's still pretty soon after the Red... Remember, it's the Red Sea. The Red Sea happened. Remember this, okay? The horse and rider fell into the sea and all that. Now, Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, verse 22. And they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, isn't that interesting? They had been at the Red Sea. Lots and lots of water. God had saved them from the water. And now God leads them to a place with no water. It gets better. I love the way God orchestrates around and through humans. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah, which means bitter. 
So they got saved out of a bunch of water in the Red Sea. Then they came to a place with no water. Now when they find water, it's undrinkable. Now bitter doesn't mean like the kind of water where you go, ooh, it tastes like chlorine. Not that. I'm not talking about tap water. I love that, by the way. Uh, I'm, talk- I'm thinking chlorine, it's going to kill whatever, you know, uh, is harming me that I ate. Um, I'm, we're talking about water that will hurt you bad if you drink it. They can't drink this water. So there's a lot of interesting things going on with water here. Look what happens next. Verse 24. The people grumbled. The people grumbled. Now, this is not the only time it ever happened. You can go into chapter 16 and see many more instances of God providing for the people and the people grumbled. God leading the people somewhere that they didn't want to be and the people complaining. So let's recount this. We've got the song, right? We did the song in verses 1 through 21. That was Sophie's thing. Okay, now... Verses 22 to 24, you got the sin. You got the sin now, right? Following the song. And there's more in chapter 16. Now let's remember the main point. Because of his saving acts on their behalf, God's people should praise him in God-centered ways. But as is so often the case, and as we know all too well, for the children of Israel and for us, who have the promises, who have experienced the very real deliverance of God, it slipped away. It's like when you leave the windows open and the doors open when the air conditioning's on. It just gets sucked out. They had it and they lost it. Their praise turned to self-centered sin and blame. The moment they didn't get what they wanted, they grumbled and complained. They accused God. It didn't take long before sin to rear its ugly head and get its elbows on the table and chow down. Now part of me doesn't want to be so tough on them. I mean, you try taking 600,000 men plus women and children on a journey in the, on a camping trip in the desert, there's bound to be issues with food and water. Okay? Someone didn't bring enough provisions, all that stuff. But what you see is God continuing to shower them with grace and mercy and provide for them again and again and again and show his power. And he made his provision for his people in the most mo- remarkable of ways. Birds flying down and hitting the ground and providing meat and this stuff going on, this flaky, dewy stuff that dries out and tastes like coriander and honey. For 40 years, they ate manna. They didn't like it. They wanted the Egyptian food. They had like leeks and onions and probably garlic. It's very interesting that after Pharaoh's army had seen justice, after they'd been drowned in the Red Sea, they saw their dead bodies on the seashore. God had showered mercy on his people. They sang. It was only right. But it wasn't right that they soon forgot. It was right and appropriate that they returned thanks to God for his deliverance, but it wasn't right that they complained against that same God. It makes me think about how I respond, how you respond, how we respond to God's saving acts on our behalf in Christ and how quickly we, we complain when things don't go the way we want them to go sin ruins our songs how is it that praise to God for his saving acts on our behalf can so quickly turn into complaining to God about not getting things our way how quickly we forget how quickly our idol factory gets back to business as usual too often it seems like it's my heart's default position It doesn't matter if it's a flat tire or a lost wallet. 
or a major disappointment. I just think recently I had two uh, significant self-centered reactions that I kept somewhat internal, but I'm sure others saw. We were up in the mountains last weekend with the whole family, and, and uh, Angela's wedding ring lost its diamond. The diamond was gone. We didn't know where it was. We turned the house upside down for a long time. And my first thought was not, wow, I really empathize with Angela for her pain over losing the diamond. It was, well, that's going to cost us a lot of money. We get back from the mountains and I go to the supermarket and get some food and I'm driving home and I drive into the driveway and I realize my wallet's missing. Oh no. Panic turned to, let me just call the store. Maybe some kind soul has returned my wallet. Turns out some honest person brought it back into the store, found it on some table or whatever right near, right near where I was walking to the car. And my first response was, I got to go back to the store now? Instead of gratitude for uh, someone's honesty to, to bring it back. It's very easy. We found the diamond, by the way. The diamond's found. Praise God. But here's the deal. I didn't say praise God when the diamond was lost. I didn't say praise God when the wallet was lost. I just thought about all the calls I was going to have to make. I just thought about all the things that were going to need to get replaced. I just thought about me. Our tendency, by the way, is to think that the good thing that happened is because we're so special and because we've been so good. Kind of like God is Santa Claus or something, rewarding us for being good all year long. And when we don't get what we want, we think that somehow God is being unfair to us. And so we say things like, you're withholding from me, God. Where's the spouse that I want? Where's the new job that I've been waiting for? Where's the money that I need? Why are things not going my way? And we fail to see that God ordains each blessing in our lives and sometimes blessings are wrapped up in lost diamonds and lost wallets and lost relationships they could not keep covenant with God they're remembering the covenant acts of God they couldn't keep covenant with God we cannot keep covenant with God God is that unilateral covenant maker who keeps his word he will not give you everything you want by the way but he will give you everything you need And right now, some of you are thinking, I don't want to hear that one more time. And I will just keep saying it because it's the truth that you need to force feed me when I'm discouraged. What could the children of Israel do, by the way? What what can we do? I'm thinking to myself, what do I do in that situation? I mean, I can praise God one moment and curse the next. What's the deal? What can I do? There's some sort of operation that can be done. Now look, we talked about the song We've talked about the sin. I can't let you go without telling you about the saving grace. The saving grace. It's in this passage. It's all here. In chapter 15, you've got verses 1 through 21, there's the song. You've got verses 22 through 24, there's the sin. But the saving grace is in verses 25 through 27. Look at that. Okay. Moses cries out to God and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. The water became sweet. God did another miracle to provide for his people. God took something that was nasty and made it beautiful. God took something that seemed spoiled and ruined and made it uh, uh, something useful and good. You know, you might feel broken today, by the way. You might feel smashed and broken and and 
just to smithereens. And you think and you read this and you think, no, this one, not for me. Let me show you something, okay? See this guitar right here that Michael was playing? I love Michael being home from college and he's playing my guitar from I've had since the early 90s. Back here, it was broken. This guitar was broken about four weeks ago. It's been broken for like two years. Smashed off. And I'm, I'm, it was in the bag and I remember thinking, it's a goner, it's ruined. I might as well just throw it away. Then I got some Elmer's glue and I went to work on it. And I'm telling you, doesn't it sounded beautiful. He's gonna play it at the end. It's, not, it's, it's, it's got the scar, but it's now a thing of beauty. It was a trasher and now it's back. Your life could be the same way. All is not lost. You know why? Check your pulse. As far as I can tell, you're all still alive. So there's hope. Let me say this. Saving grace. Because of our tendency to self-centeredly sin, God gives his people a way. It's, it's like he always makes a way for his people. He always gives away and he gives his people he provides for his people a way to guard their hearts by his spirit and through his word by choosing to hear and do what he says look look at these next verses so the water becomes sweet then the lord made for them a statute and a rule and there he tested them here's what he said verse 25 If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes. See, they didn't listen to God and and, and grumbling was not right. If you will listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. So it's a restatement of the same thing. Listen and give ear, same thing. Do and keep, same thing. He says, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord, your healer. Your healer puts you back together, restores you, stores what the locust ate and all that. It's all about Jesus. I can't let, let you leave without hearing this either. It's all about Jesus. You go, well, wait, I didn't hear Jesus in here. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 10. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 10. Now, We can't praise God and follow his word without a heart changed by grace. Let me just say that as you're looking for that that chapter. God's people do not merely give him lip service. They show heart and life evidence. So you hear that Jesus loves you and that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of truth. So you need to hear it. Here's what you need to hear before we get to 1 Corinthians 10. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Christ died for our sins. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want you to read with me, uh, follow with me in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1. Here's what Paul says. I want you to know, brothers, brothers. He's, He's writing to a church. He's writing to a church that was actually pretty sinful. He was writing to a church that makes us feel better because we feel like we're not the only ones that mess up and that blow it. He says, I want to write to you, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. What cloud? The one that God led his people out of Egypt under. And all passed through the sea. What sea? The Red Sea. The Red Sea. 
And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That's not confusing. It just means they participated in God's saving acts. They were were active participants in experiencing God's goodness. They identified fully with it. Verse 3. All ate the same spiritual food. Now, I'm thinking manna, but it says spiritual And all drank the same spiritual drink. And I'm thinking water, but it says spiritual. And then, listen to this. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Do you see that? The rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. You go on and it recounts all, a lot of the evil that they did. Verse 12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Every Christian needs gospel truth every day. And then verse 13, no temptation. What temptation? Well, the temptation to go after idols. The temptation to to do what they did. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What was the way of escape for the people of Israel after they'd come out of the Red Sea and were grumbling? And what is the way of escape for us today who are grumblers and complainers at times? It is that by His Spirit and through His Word, choose to hear and do what God says. I love it when the ceiling crackles because everyone's like, I'm listening because if this thing comes down, I want to be ready. (laughs) It's built well. It's all right. I don't know. Only God knows. 2 Corinthians 5.15 tells us, and we got to land this plane. I just realized we got to land the plane. Uh, Worship team is going to come back up. I got to look at the clock more often. Um... 2 Corinthians 5.15 tells us of the soul-transforming effects of the gospel. It says this, And he died for all, Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The essence of sin, according to God, is living our lives for ourselves rather than for his glory and others' good. God wants us to praise him in in God-exalting ways, and we often want to live for ourselves. And God uses the gospel to change us because the gospel humbles us and makes us bold at the same time. We should be very humble, bold people. We should be humble because we know who we are, we know who God is, and we should be bold with the gospel that has changed our lives. The gospel tells us we are more flawed and sinful than we know and at the same time more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. Jesus didn't look down from the cross and resent and despise us for putting him there. He didn't reject us for it. He he saw with eyes of love and he saw undeserving objects of his mercy and grace. It causes us to want to praise God. It causes us to want to serve him. I like what Tim Keller said. The more you meditate on what Jesus has done, the more you see the floodwaters go over his head in your hearts and minds, the more holy you will be. Nobody who understands the grace of God would ever take sin lightly. The more you deal with the free grace of God, the more you work it into your heart the more you understand this the more you understand that your salvation has nothing to do with your behavior the more 
that will change your behavior the more radically it will excuse me the more you understand that the more radically it will change your behavior you might have something you need to praise God for today I think you have many things you may have some things you need to repent of today some sins you may need to repent of I was going to show you, and I'm not going to show you, though, there's some slides on uh, some re- resolutions that Jonathan Edwards made when he was 19 years old in the, in the, in the late 17, mid-1700s. He, he was very serious. He became very serious about the direction of his life. Here we are in a brand new year, and you may have made some resolutions. You say, I want to decide to be different. I want to decide to, to change. One of the things he said was, I resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Here's my resolution this year. To love, trust, and praise Jesus more than anything. And to take active steps to curb my appetite for sin. And to increase my love for the gospel. What's yours? Let's pray. Lord God, because of your saving acts on our behalf, we want to praise you in very God-centered ways. But we all know we have this tendency towards self-centered sin. But we thank you that you have provided a way through Jesus Christ to guard our hearts by your spirit and through your word that we would choose to hear and do what you say. If there's someone who's not a believer here today, Lord, they just need to come to faith in you to turn from their sins and turn to Christ. But all believers need to choose to hear and do what you say. And when we waver, we know there is no condemnation in Christ. We go to you for forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration and peace. And we thank you that you who saved us will finish the work. And we thank you, Lord, that one day we will sing this song of Moses in heaven to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.